You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. It's not, oh, what a church. It's, oh, what a Savior. Amen. We're here because of Him. Amen. Well, it's good to be here this evening, and I echo... Uh, what Brother Ryan said uh, about this morning's service, and a pastor said it in the prayer room about this morning's service. I feel like we're picking up where we left off this morning. Amen. And what a, what a, what a service we had this morning as the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up in singing uh, and in the preaching of God's Word, a tremendous passage that uh, our brother Larry preached this morning. Amen. Uh, so thank the Lord for that. We'll be opening our Bibles in just a minute, uh, but uh, first I have to give you an advertisement. Amen. This is, this is commercial break before the preaching time. Amen. Uh, so uh, many of you know, most of you know uh, that your church, our church, Eastside Baptist Church, is birthing a new church. Amen. Uh, next Sunday, we're having our first services of the Falls International Baptist Church, reaching out to the international and the immigrant community here uh, in Sioux Falls. Uh, when I was in Africa in 2015, um, if you would have told me before I went there or while I lived there that we had an African period in the state of South Dakota, I would have said, you're crazy. And that was on the basis of the fact that I had worked and labored in the north central part of this state for all of my adult life. And the only African American I ever met was my aunt who would come up to visit us occasionally. My grandparents had adopted a little African uh, baby, and uh, so she was the only one that we ever met. And, and when we moved here uh, in 20, uh, the fall of 2015, uh, we found a very large African immigrant community here. And I was shocked to see that the foreign mission field has come to our home state and really to our city, amen. And uh, so we're excited about trying to reach out to folks in the downtown, the Whittier neighborhood area, and moving out from there, amen, where there's a soul that needs to be saved, we want to be reaching uh, these folks. And, and uh, so we're starting. We, we've looked for a building, and, and, and many of you have helped us pray as we've looked for a building. Um, Pastor and I have traveled uh, back and forth, crisscrossed downtown, trying to find a place. And, and uh, to date, uh, we have found a lot of places, but either the zoning is not right or they want uh, too much money than what a brand new church can afford uh, for rent. And so... Uh, pastor uh, and I talked, and he said, Eastside Baptist Church, uh, we'll let you start here for free, amen. <laughs> and, and so next Sunday afternoon at 1.30, uh, we're starting uh, services, and I've already had folks ask, uh, can we come and be a part? We was joking in the prayer room about this, and, and, and I, want you, I just want to say this up front, we are not stealing any members from Eastside Baptist Church, amen. Can I get a witness? All right. Uh, but uh, you, you can sure come and visit at 1.30 in the afternoon here, amen. But you can't come for early service and then skip east side at 6 o'clock in the evening. Amen. You can't say, well, Falls International, that's early service, so we're skipping, okay? Uh, so, uh, but we are very excited. And you can help us with this process. So Brother Benji, they are here this week. Obviously, his wife has a doctor's appointment, I believe, tomorrow. They're here for some things there. But he's going to be helping us the next two days, uh, knocking on doors. He's doing the work that he's going to be doing and that we're supporting him as a church to do in other towns in our state. He's actually going to be helping us with uh, over the next two days. Uh, up on the visitor center, we have the advertisements for the new church. When we printed this, we didn't know where we were going to meet, so we just told folks there's a new church coming to town, and we have our address information as far as, uh, or our, excuse me, our contact information on the back, and to text us or to call us, and I've got a lot of response out of that. Uh, Judy was very gracious to stay late last night and printed up a grand opening service with the address of the church here and uh, the times and all the stuff that's going on next week. So you can help us by, by, by just stopping by the visitor center and just pick up what you know you will give out. Uh, if if, if uh, maybe you got some neighbors or some co-workers that are immigrants in town, uh, uh, African immigrants or others, amen, if you'll pick these up and pass them out to them and just invite them, that'd be wonderful. We'll have services here 1.30 on Sunday afternoons and 7 o'clock on Thursday evenings. And the next Sunday, again, it's our grand opening. We have a meet and greet time 
and uh, Brother Clarence Collins is providing sandwiches from Herberts and Gerberts, and Brother Nate already said he's going to be here at 1.30 for the free sandwiches, amen, and, uh, and I hope he stays for the rest, all right, amen. So anyhow, if, if, if y'all could help us with that, that'd be a great blessing. And I want to thank this church, before I get into the message, I want to thank Eastside Baptist Church for being our home church, for praying for us, for supporting our ministry, and, uh, and, 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 and just allowing us to be able to plant this church out of this church, amen, uh, Falls International out of Eastside. We thank you so much for the privilege. Uh, I, I love Pastor Spencer. Uh, again, I echo what the, the missionary said this morning. Uh, we have a good man of God here. Uh, we have a tremendous man of God and a tremendous pastor, and I thank the Lord for him uh, and what a blessing he's been to, my, uh, to our family. You know, when we came home from Africa, uh, uh, we were very broken. Uh, as a family, I needed a pastor's pastor. Um, I had a lot of folks that asked us to come move uh, to where they were. Uh, they were buddies. They were friends. Uh, but I didn't need a buddy or a friend to be my pastor. I needed a pastor uh, to be my pastor. Amen. And, uh, and, and, and thank God for Pastor Spencer. And, and I, I'm really excited at this point. I know some of you say you're always excited, but I'm really excited right now uh, because next Sunday, see, I'm a church planner. That's what God called me to do, to plant churches. Romans 15, 20, and 21 is the parameters of my life. That's God's calling on my life. And uh, we have not planted a church since 2015 in Africa. And so next Sunday, we get to dive back into planning a church. And, and I feel like I'm back in the saddle again. And I'm really excited about next Sunday. So pray for us throughout the week. And, uh, and, and if you can pass some of those advertisements out, we'd really appreciate it. All right, we're going to be turning to Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and I know I took a few minutes right there. But just before I preach, I want to read something else to you. If you ever watch the news at night... Uh, they'll have an opening monologue, amen, sometimes for the news, uh, the news hour that you're going to watch. And I want to give you a little opening monologue tonight. It uh, has nothing to do with what I'm preaching, I can assure you of that, but it's, but it's a very much a burden on my heart uh, that I want to share with you. And, and as, as the missionaries were here this morning, uh, God, uh, every time I see these missionaries and I see these pictures, I've been in these third world countries, I've been to places where there's so many people and there's no laborers at all, zero, zilch. Nobody reaching with the gospel. And, uh, and this will help you to understand sometimes how missionaries feel when they come back to the States. Amen. And I'm reading this not just to help you understand, but with the same plea. Uh, I'm a missionary. Missionaries talk about missions. I'm preaching on the home in just a minute. Uh, but, but it's our heart burden and our heart cry. Brother Dover, when he was praying uh, yesterday in the wedding over the a couple getting married, uh, he began to pray about missions. I almost did, and I said, no, I'm not going to pray about missions. I talk about missions all the time, amen. And, uh, and, then, and then he caught the slack and took care of it for me, amen. Uh, but, uh, but I want you to listen to this, and I want you to listen from the point of view of maybe this will help you to understand sometimes missionaries when they come in from a country where there's nobody else laboring. And maybe, maybe God, maybe God will use this tonight uh, in the spirit of Matthew 9, verses 36 through 38. Maybe God will touch somebody's heart with this on what you can do more uh, in this particular matter. So I just want to read this, and then, uh, then we're going to go to Genesis 1. I won't take long, I promise you that. Amen. Once upon a time, there was an apple grower who had acres and acres of apple trees. In all, he had 10,000 acres of apple orchards. One day, he went to a nearby town. There, he hired 1,000 apple pickers, and he told them, go to my orchards, harvest the ripe apples, and build storage buildings for them, so that they will not spoil. I need to be gone for a while, but I'll provide all that you will need to complete the task. When I return, I will reward you for your work. I'll set up a society for the picking of apples. The society to which you all will belong will be responsible for the entire operation. Naturally, in addition to those of you doing the actual harvesting, some will carry supplies, others will care for the physical needs of the group, and still others will have administrative responsibilities. As he set up the society structure, some people volunteered to be pickers and others to be packers. Others put their skill to work as truck drivers and cooks and accountants and storehouse builders and apple inspectors and even administrators. Every one of his workers could, of course, have picked apples, but in the end, however, only 100 of the 1,000 employees wound up as full-time pickers. The 100 pickers started harvesting immediately. 94 of them began picking right around the homestead. The remaining six looked out toward the horizon. They decided to head out to the far away orchards. Before long, the storehouses in the 800 acres immediately surrounding the homestead had been filled by the 94 pickers with beautiful, delicious apples. 
The orchards on the 800 acres around the homestead had thousands of apple trees, but with almost all of the pickers concentrating on them, those trees were soon picked nearly bare. In fact, the 94 apple pickers working around the homestead began having difficulty finding trees which had not been picked. As the apple picking slowed down around the homestead, society members began channeling efforts into building larger storehouses and developing better equipment for picking and for packing. They even started some schools to train prospective apple pickers to replace those who one day would be too old to pick apples. Sadly, those 94 pickers working around the homestead began fighting among themselves. Incredible as it may sound, some began stealing apples that had already been picked. Although there were enough trees on the 10,000 acres to keep every available worker busy, those working nearest the homestead failed to move into unharvested areas. They just kept working those 800 acres nearest to the house. Some on the northern edge sent their trucks to get apples on the southern side, and those on the south side sent their trucks to gather on the east side. Even with all of that activity, the harvest on the remaining 9,200 acres was left to just six apple pickers. Those six were, of course, far too few to gather all the ripe fruit in those thousands of acres. So by the hundreds of thousands, and I would say by the millions, if you understand the parable, by the millions, apples rotted on the trees and fell to the ground. One of the students of the apple picking school showed a special talent for picking apples quickly and effectively. When he heard about the thousands of acres of untouched faraway orchards, he started talking about going there. His friends discouraged him. They said, your talents and abilities make you very valuable around the homestead. You'd be wasting your talents out there. Your gifts can help us harvest apples from the trees on our central 800 acres more rapidly. That'll give us more time to build bigger and better storehouses. Perhaps you could even help us devise better ways to use our big storehouses since we've wound up with more space than we need for the present crop of apples. With so many workers and so few trees, the pickers and packers and truck drivers and all the rest of the society for the picking of apples living around the homestead had time for more than just picking apples. So they built nice houses and they raised their standard of living. Some became very conscious of clothing styles. Thus, when the six pickers from far-off orchards returned to the homestead for a visit, it was apparent that they were not keeping up with the styles uh, with the other apple pickers and packers. To be sure, those on the homestead, they were always good to those six who worked in faraway orchards. When any of those six returned from the faraway fields, they were always given the red carpet treatment. Nonetheless, those six pickers were saddened that the Society of the Picking of Apples spent 96% of its budget for bigger and better apple picking methods and equipment and personnel for the 800 acres around the homestead, while it spent only 4% of its budget on all those distant orchards. To be sure, those six pickers knew that an apple is an apple wherever it may be picked. They knew that apples around the homestead were just as important as apples far away. Still, they could not erase from their minds the sight of thousands of trees which had never been touched by a picker. They longed for more pickers to come help them. They longed for help from packers and truck drivers and supervisors and equipment maintenance men and ladder builders. They wondered if the professionals working at the homestead could teach them better apple picking methods so that out where they worked, fewer apples would rot and fall to the ground. Those six sometimes wondered to themselves whether or not the Society for the Picking of Apples was doing what the orchard owner had asked it to do. While one might question whether the society was doing all the owner wanted done, the members did keep very busy. Several members were convinced that proper apple picking requires nothing less than the very best equipment. Thus, the society assigned several members to develop bigger and better ladders as well as nicer boxes to store apples. The society also prided itself at having raised the qualification level for full-time apple pickers. When the owner returns, the society members will crowd around him. They'll proudly show off the bigger and better ladders they've built and the nice apple boxes they've designed and made. But one wonders how happy that owner will be when he looks out and sees the acres and acres and acres of untouched trees with unpicked apples. And that was written by a missionary to Japan and printed by the Moody Press back in 1979. And, and really not a lot has changed since 1979 when it comes to the great harvest that's out there and the few laborers. Can I challenge the church tonight before we look in Genesis 1? Can I challenge you? We were talking about apple pickers around the world but Thursday night visitation is a wonderful time to join up right here at Eastside Baptist and pick apples right here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for the glory of God. Amen.
man, take tracks and pass them out and pick apples. But listen, if there's anybody here who you feel like God is touching your heart, man, talk to pastor about it. Have pastor pray with you about it. We need laborers. God has placed my family right now in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We know that's the will of God for our family at this time. There is no doubt about that. But our heart is very much in Africa, and there will come a day when I believe with all of my heart the Lord will let us go. But until then, I'm praying, and I'm begging, and I'm fervently pleading with the Lord to send laborers to unreached areas of our world, because I'm telling you, apples are rotting, and they're falling to the ground. Uh, the, the harvest really is ripe, uh, and the laborers really are few. And let's pray together the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Genesis chapter number one. Though I'm sorry that was a longer opening monologue than I intended it to be, but I'm not sorry that I read that. Amen. I really, those missionaries this morning, God touched my heart with those men and the work they're doing, and, and I wanted to carry the spirit of that uh, yet into tonight's service. So let's pray, and we'll look in Genesis one. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, as we stand behind the pulpit, Lord, uh, tonight to preach the word of God, uh, Lord, our minds are very much encouraged by what we heard this morning. Our minds were very much challenged by those pictures. Uh, Lord, I've been uh, in those uh, regions, not there in the Philippines, but in Africa. I've been in similar kinds of places, Lord, where people uh, many times have never had an opportunity one time, one time, one time to hear the Word of God. And they'll not die and go to hell, many of them, because they outright rejected Jesus Christ. Many of them will die and go to hell having never had one opportunity to know who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what he did for them at Calvary. Lord, I pray tonight as sincere as I can, and you know my heart, it's open before thee. I pray, Lord God, tonight, we're preaching on the home in just a moment here, but I pray, Heavenly Father, that thy sweet spirit would work across hearts, Lord God, and I pray that you would continue to call men and women and boys and girls. I pray that you would continue to send missionaries to the foreign field, Lord God, to reach, Lord, people that otherwise will never hear the gospel one time and will die and go to a Christless eternity. I pray, Lord, you'd call. I pray that you would send laborers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter number one tonight, we're going to pick up our text in verse 27 of Genesis 1. I'm thankful that Pastor asked yesterday if we could preach tonight and preach on the family. And so Genesis chapter number one, verse 27, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And notice that phrase, male and female created he them. I'll come back to that in just a moment. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And if we'll come down to verse 31, the first half of the verse, the Bible said, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So let's comment on this passage of Scripture and get into the message here this evening. In the beginning, if you was to read the Genesis account, you would find that God created the heaven and the earth. And on the first day of creation, God created light and divided it from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. On the second day of creation, God made the firmament, or what we would call the atmosphere, thus creating what we know today and call today the first and the second heaven. Uh, that's the air around us that we breathe, the first heaven and outer space as the second heaven. Then on the third day, God created the dry land and called it the earth, and he called the waters that were separated from the earth the seas. And for the first time, the Bible says here on day three that God saw that it was good. That's the wording that he uses. Twice on the third day, in fact, the Bible will record that God saw what he had just created, and God saw that it was good. And God would go on to create the plants and the trees and self-producing vegetation, the sun, the moon, the stars, and God would see that they were good. Then God created sea creatures and feathered fowls, and I just want to stop and say thank God for pheasants, and pheasant season is upon us. Amen. Can I get a witness? Thank you. Amen. All right. I preach better without witness. All right. All right. Feathered fowls, an animal kingdom, and he saw that they were good, and they were, because everything that God creates, everything that God creates is good. But on the sixth day, God said, let us, notice the Trinity, let us, the plurality there, he didn't say let me, he said let us make man in our image after our likeness, and notice, let them, 
Notice notice that word them, not him. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and Basically, we understand that to be God is tripartite. He's a tripartite being. Uh, He's a trinity in nature. And so man, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. In the image of God created he him, male and female. Notice again, male and female created he them. Notice the word them. Do you see what God just did? God didn't just create a man. Our text tells us in Genesis 1 that he, he created them. The Bible says he created a male and a female. Uh, as we get to Genesis chapter number 2, we'll learn the order of the creation and those kinds of things. But in this chapter, he's given us a general account of the creation story. And he lets us know that he created a male and a female and gave them, not him, not her. He gave them dominion over the earth and over the animals and so on and so forth. And again, we'll learn in the next chapter that God would literally create the female from the male and bring her to the man and unite them in the uh, act of marriage, thus creating the first home. So when God said, let them have dominion, he's not just speaking of mankind in general. The them refers to the first male and female. If you're looking in the text, I believe that, uh, or what we would call the first home. And so God created a home with the stated purpose of giving that home dominion over the rest of his earthly creation. The word dominion, it means, it means the power of governing and controlling or predominance. And, and this is further stated in verse 28. In case you say, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Look, look at verse number 28. The Bible said that God spoke to them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. God's speaking to the male and the female. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You see that? God created a man and a woman. He created the first home. God gave them dominion over his creation. And then I want you to notice verse 31. The Bible said God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. It's not what he said. It was very good. There was something special. There was something more important about the man and the woman, about the man and the female, about that first home. God saw that it was very good. Notice that everything was good, but God did not say that things were very good until he had created man and established a home and given that home dominion over the rest of creation. And so with all that in mind laid out as introduction, I want to preach tonight on this thought then, what is the home? And we know in Genesis 1, the home was created by God. We we, we understand that, but, but, but I want to just give you three points tonight as quickly as I can on what is the home as we study the scriptures. What, not what is the purpose of the home, but what is the home. And so uh, we'll look right at it. If you're writing notes down, our first point uh, here this evening uh, will be this. The home is the foundation of civilization. And you say, man, that, that, that's some big words right there. Well, let me try to explain that. I, I want to state dogmatically tonight that in its creative order, the home is the very foundation. In other words, it's fundamental to civilization. And I cannot overestimate the importance of a strong Christian home as I preach tonight. Human civilization rests upon the foundation of the home. Before God ever created the government in Genesis chapter number 9, before we find the institution of government, before we find the institution of the church, whether you believe it's in Matthew uh, or whether you believe it's in Acts 2, before God created the institution of government or God created the institution of the church, God created this wonderful thing that we call the home. And if I was preaching on the church tonight, boy, I would tell you how much I love the church, brother. Amen. I mean, I love the church. Christ loved the church so much that he shed his blood for it. I love the church. Amen. I think as Charles Spurgeon made the statement, if Christ counted the church worthy of his, of his blood, how much should we count it worthy of our time, of our talents, of our sweat and of our tears? Amen. Well, that's something to think about. But I'm not preaching on the church tonight. I'm preaching about the home. And I'm telling you that the home is fundamental to a strong church. The home is fundamental to a strong nation. So God, in his creative order, created the home before he ever gave us a government and before he ever gave us a church. Amen. And it's fundamental to that. Species did not evolve over billions of years, young people, uh, from, you know, until the highest form of animal life just happened to come into existence. We don't believe that. 
Civilization or the process of being... Here's here's what the word civilization means. You ready? It means the process of being refined from the grossness of savage and animalistic life. We did not evolve into human civilization. We did not evolve over millions of years from that grossness of savage and animal life. Uh, I may have had some ancestors that swung by their neck, but none of them swung by their tails. Amen. You can mark that down. And so I'm saying tonight that a very orderly God created a very orderly earth and created a very civilized home with the purpose of having that home to keep order and civilization from becoming disorderly and savage. There was nothing uncivilized, as some would have us to believe. There was nothing illiterate. There was nothing savage about Adam. Adam did not walk out of a cave one day and say, there is a woman, I will take her back to my cave, amen, like they would have us to believe the cavemen did. It doesn't work that way. God created Adam on the sixth day, and do you know what? On the sixth day, you know what else God did? God had Adam name all the animals on the sixth day. That don't sound like he was too illiterate or savage to me, amen? I mean, he named them all on the sixth day. Before Eve came along, he named them all, amen? I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. You say, you believe that? I believe it, Amen. God created him. He was civilized. He was refined, if we could say it that way. He was literate. He was orderly. That was how God created him to be. And so God had him name the animals. And and in the naming of the animals, and Pastor alluded to this this morning, uh, or maybe it was in the message yesterday at the wedding, amen, Uh, uh, while, while naming the animals, God allowed Adam to see his own necessity for life's mate, Amen. Bible said, but for Adam, there was not found and help meet. Amen. That word found means somebody was looking. Amen. If you're Adam and you're out there saying, this is Mr. and Mrs. Tiger, and this is Mr. and Mrs. Bear, and this is Mr. and Mrs. Dog, and all, I don't know, all of it. Amen. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even give you the names of all the animals. Amen. And he named them all. All right. But what I'm saying is in that process somewhere, Adam's looking and saying, where's Mrs. Adam? Where's Mrs. There, everybody else has a mate. Everyone else has someone with them. Where's my someone? Amen. It's, it's a little bit of awareness training for Adam that you're missing someone that you're going to need. Uh, and there's a whole other message on that that I won't preach to you tonight. Amen. But, but I'm saying that working, so, so God created Adam, and God allowed him to name the animals, and, and, and he was created by God with the specific plan of dressing and keeping the garden. And then if you read, we don't have time to preach on all of it, but in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, we find that Eve was created by God. And while Adam was created to dress and keep the garden, amen, Eve was created to dress and keep Adam, amen. Uh, his job uh, was to God and take care of God's creation. And her job was probably a bigger job and a harder job than that was to take care of the man, amen. That, that, that was her job. That's why God created her. And then then working together, listen, listen, couples, listen, those that are married, working together, that's, that's a novel idea, isn't it, amen, in marriage, working together with, not against, with one another, amen, uh, uh, Adam fulfilling his God-given purpose in creation, and Eve fulfilling her God-given purpose in creation, they would keep order within the garden and over God's creation, and she would keep order within her home and with her man, she would put the team in teamwork. She would put the help, being a helper, amen. There could be no helper or teamwork. Uh, she would bring the completion to Adam. And she really, ladies, uh, God would use you to really bring complete civilization to the home, amen. Y'all keep our homes from becoming too savage, amen, all right. May I say briefly, and we'll move on to our next point, that when a society drifts from the creative order and purpose of the home, when a home drifts from its biblical purpose in, in God's creation, from its biblical moorings, when the definition of the home is altered and perverted, the foundation of civilization begins to crumble. It does. And the human race begins to become savage and uncivilized to one another. And if you don't believe me, I can take you to some third world countries. And we don't have to go to third world countries. We can take you to places in our country. People are savage. People are totally uncivilized. The home has completely broken down. It's not a pretty picture when we leave God's creative order. So I say tonight away with the redefinition of marriage, which destroys the foundation of the home, away with the feminist movement, which undermines the creative order of the home, and away with the try before you buy mentality, marriage mentality, that, that's the mentality of the day, try before you die, uh, before you die, amen, try before you buy, amen. That's the marriage mentality, that's wrong. That's, that's humanism at its worst, try before you buy, that's wrong. 
that handicaps a home before the home's even started. We've got to get away from those things and get back to the Word of God. Number two, the home is the foundation of civilization. Number two, the home is the fabric of a strong society. Now, someone may ask, what, what do you mean with that term, Brother Upman, the fabric of society? Well, the term fabric of society, it literally means, and I'm quoting, the interwoven system that supports the society we live in, hence the word fabric. Some may use the term framework instead of fabric. This would include the legal system, the home, the family, the church, state, education, etc. All those items that make life as we know it functional and stable. And so we see how that within society, the government when it's operating as it should, and the home is operating as it should, and the church is operating as it should, Boy, that's a wonderful environment to raise your children in. That's a wonderful environment to live in when everything is running in the way that God created it to run. Our society here in the United States of America is based on a Judeo-Christian worldview or, or Judeo-Christian values. Judeo speaking of the Old Testament, Christian speaking of the New Testament. Our beliefs determine our behavior. I'm telling you, if you say, I, I don't know that I believe that our beliefs determine our behavior. Well, I'll tell you what, when you go home tonight, uh, uh, you know, if, you, if, if uh, you believe that fire is hot and that fire burns, amen, uh, and you say, well, I don't, I don't believe that belief determines behavior, then, then go ahead and put your hand over an open flame. Uh, there you I'll guarantee if you believe that that'll burn your hand, you won't put your hand over it, amen. Belief determines behavior. You, you can look around the world and see this uh, where there is not a Judeo-Christian worldview where there's not a Judeo-Christian values, you, you'll enter into a culture, instead of glorifying life, they glorify death because, because they're not built on a worldview, on a biblically-based system that teaches them the principles of Christianity, that teaches them that God is life and that God is life. And so they glorify darkness and they glorify death. That's, I'm, I'm just telling you, that's the reality of third world countries and that's the reality of some places within our own country. I'm saying tonight that the home is the fabric of a strong society. The home is a strong thread in the moral fabric of our society. God's Word teaches us about the creative order of the home and God's purpose for the home. God's Word gives us clear instructions on how the home is to be guided and guarded, how the home is to be uh, taught, how, how, how that we should act and react and interact with one another in our own homes, how husbands and wives should act and react and interact with one another in our own homes. Amen. Uh, God gives us clear teaching on parenting and training our children for His glory should God choose to bless the home with children. When we read and heed God's Word and His instructions concerning the home, we help each of us in our own home weave together within society a strong moral thread which contributes towards a godly and a spiritually strong and stable society. When all three of God's institutions are properly functioning, society remains stable. When the government fails, as so many times it does in various countries around the world, did you know that the home can still continue on with its purpose, even when governments fail? The home and the church can continue weaving that strong moral fabric of society, and, and it prevents uh, the rapid decay of, 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 of society. I, I, I would say that even when the government fails, and then many times when the church fails, the home, it's still possible to, it, I'll, I'll read it the way I wrote it in my notes here, it's, it's, it's possible to have a corrupt government and then apostate church and to still have a strong home when God's word is, uh, is, is believed and practiced, amen. But I want to submit to you tonight that it's not possible to have a strong church and it's not possible to have a strong government without a strong, stable home. You have to have strong homes to make strong churches and to have strong nations. Amen. And so again, I emphasize to you the need for our homes to remain within the clear parameters of God's definition for the home and His instructions for the home. Now, that's a lot of teaching that I've given you. Amen. Someone says, what the difference between teaching and preaching? Here it is. Teaching, you're indoctrinating people in the truths of God's Word. Preaching, you're making an appeal to people. And so we're going to shift gears just a little bit here, get to our last point. It's, it's 6.59, so, so we're going to be done in good time. Amen. I don't know how it happens, guys. But whenever I'm sitting there, not when pastor's preaching, of course, but anybody else besides pastor, when I'm sitting there, it's like the clock goes so slow. But when I'm up here, the clock starts spinning. Amen. Except, except for pastor. All right. Amen. All right. Well, let me give you our third point here. All right. So I've tried to teach you some things about the home tonight, but this is, this really, right, right. I, I enjoyed this next point. Amen. I enjoy it all, but I enjoyed this next point. Amen. Because the home 
When you begin to study Scripture, you find uh, back again in, in verse 27 of our text, let's read that again. The Bible said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And notice that phrase, male and female created he them. It's doubly clear in this passage that God created man in his own image. And it's also very clear that male and female created he them. And we understand that the purpose of the male and female, I think, I think we don't have to, I think we can figure that out. A procreation is a large part of that purpose, amen? Without a male and a female thing, uh, things are going to kind of come to an end pretty quickly, all right, when it comes to the human race. And so we understand that. But I want to submit to you tonight that there's a greater truth illustrated here that is also taught elsewhere in the Bible. God created the home as a male and female for the purpose of foreshadowing the relationship that Christ would one day have with his church. Yes, it's the foundation to a civilization. It is the fabric of a strong society, but it foreshadows the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. I want to ask you tonight, as we kind of switch into preaching just a little bit here and making an appeal, does your home tonight, husband and wife, father and mother, does your home, is it a wonderful type? Is it a, is it a beautiful type of the relationship that Christ has with his church. Let's read together. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And let's read just a little bit tonight from Ephesians 5. And I say a little bit. There's a passage I want to read here. Ephesians 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 21 of Ephesians 5. The Bible said here, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then he says in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's a tall order right there, and I know it is. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Guys, that's a tall order for you right there. Amen. I mean, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, that's a tall order. He goes on to say here in verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. Notice this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the home. Is that what he said? And that's not what he said. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Do you see what he just did there? He's, he's teaching us principles about the home. He's teaching us how a, a, a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. He's teaching a wife how that she should act and react and interact towards her husband as she submits and reverences her husband as unto the Lord. That's what it says right there. Amen. You say, preacher, that is a tall order, and that's exactly what the Lord meant for it to be. He knows how our homes function best, but then he gets through telling us all that, and he says, now I want you to know this is a great mystery, but I'm not speaking about the home as much as I'm speaking about the relationship between Christ and his church. And so we see right here this truth that the home really does in type. It is a type. It is a shadow of what the relationship between Christ and his church should be. So can I ask again the question? How's your home look tonight? Does it, does it fill the shadow pretty good? Does, does, I mean, when the world looks in, do they see Christ in your home? Do they see the love of Christ in you men? And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else tonight, amen? Does the world see the love of Christ in us towards our wives? Does the world see us as loving our wives and realize that that comes from something greater than ourselves? That comes from an outside source to give us that kind of love to love our wives, that we would give ourselves for our wives, that we would meet her needs, amen, ladies. When the world sees you, when ladies in the world see you, do they see a woman that so reverences her husband and has such great respect for her husband that they say, boy, that, that ladies in this world don't act that way. That comes from a whole different source. That, that, that's something outside of her guiding her. That's how the, the church is supposed to act towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that Adam, as we look again at the creative order in Genesis 1, Adam, he is the federal head, if we could use those words, of the human race. In other words, he's the top dog, amen? <laughs> uh, he represents the human race. 
But the Bible also makes it clear in the book of Corinthians 15 that Jesus Christ is the last Adam. Adam is the head of the human race, but Christ, he's the head of the church. And I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. As Adam was the head of the race of fallen men, Christ in 1 Corinthians is called the last Adam, and he's the head of a redeemed race that we call the church. And the relationship that Adam had towards Eve within the first home was supposed to foreshadow the relationship that the second Adam would have towards his bride and with his bride, the church. So consider the following. Adam was before Eve in time. Is that correct? Adam was before Eve in time. So Christ was before the church in time. It was not good that Adam should be alone, so God created and helped me for him. And I'm telling you, somewhere in eternity past, God decided it wasn't good to be alone. Amen. And God decided that it would be good for Christ to have a bride that would be called the church. And the pastor talked about it this morning, how that we would be created for the glory of God. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it wasn't good for Christ to be alone. So he created this thing. He didn't have to, but he did. Amen. Number three, Eve was formed while Adam was put to sleep. And it was not an ordinary sleep. And so Christ was put to sleep. And it wasn't an ordinary sleep. It was the sleep of death. He was put to sleep. And, and, and as Adam had Eve taken out of his side, there was a rib taken from the side of Adam. And Eve was made and brought to Adam. So blood came from the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the blood that was shed for the church of the living God. So, so that God could take dirty, rotten, filthy, vile sinners. Amen. So that God could take people that even people in this world look at and say they're abhorrent. Look how wicked and look how filthy they are. God, I mean, I'm telling you, one drop of the blood that came out of the side of Jesus Christ is enough to purify a prostitute and make her a part of the chaste virgin that we call the church of the living God. Amen. That ought to make a backslidden Methodist say amen for the glory of God. Amen. We get to be a part of the church. Our sins were forgiven because the blood of Jesus Christ. We're part of the bride. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the church because our heavenly Adam laid his life down on Calvary for you and I. Amen. What about it, guys? You willing to lay your life down for your wives? Amen. As Christ laid his life down for the church. Oh, listen. God brought her to Adam, which was taken from Adam's rib by the way, I think she willingly came. Amen. And so God brings every willing sinner to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, well, you have this man to be your Lord and Savior. Hey, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, can I tell you, there's a heavenly bridegroom who would love for you to be a part of his bride. There's a heavenly bridegroom, there's a Savior who would love for you to be a part of his church. He'd love to save you by his grace tonight and make you part of his family. Amen. Eve became Adam's bride, and so the church is the bride of Christ. She became one flesh with Adam. Two become one in marriage. That's, that, mathematically speaking, one plus one always equals two, except in God's economy, amen? Because in God's economy, one plus one equals one when it comes to marriage, amen? And so it is with Christ and the church. We're one with him, amen? By the way, guys, that's one of the reasons we're eternally secure, amen? Because we are part of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a part of us, amen? Thank God we're one with him. The Bible makes it clear. We just read it. For, for we are members of his body. That's, that's how the wording that we just read. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We're members of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. God said to Adam, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Can I tell you that God gave the, the responsibility of leaving and cleaving to the man and so the Lord Jesus Christ is our heavenly bridegroom. He left his father in heaven. He left his home in heaven. He left his earthly mother, if we could say it that way, Mary at Calvary. And he is cleaving to his bride, the church. And as marriage is till death do us part, so God has made it clear in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, that's a double promise from God. You can repeat that promise backwards, Brother Gabe, and it says, thee forsake nor leave, never will I. Amen. It's a double promise from God. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Pastor, as he was, as he was speaking yesterday, uh, and he was talking to them about their marriage and about their home, he said, you should take the word divorce out of your vocabulary. And if you're here tonight and there's a divorce in your past, praise God, it's in your past. Amen. Can't unscramble a scrambled egg. We all got scrambled eggs in our past. Amen. But we can purpose by the grace of God. We're going to move forward for the glory of God and do things God's way. Amen. 
And boy, as he spoke to them yesterday, he said, you should take divorce. Can I tell you something right now, friend? Jesus Christ will never divorce his church. Hallelujah. I don't care what we do, where we go. And I don't want to, I don't want to do wrong things. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to go the wrong direction. But I'm just saying if we did, Brother Phil, amen, he ain't leaving us, amen. He's not forsaking us. He done left his father, and he's cleaving to us, amen. And I thank God for that, amen. Can I ask you the question tonight? Once again, as I say, I'm his, and he is mine forever. How's your relationship with your wife, sir? How's your relationship with your husband, ma'am? Does it picture Christ in the church? Because that's what a home is supposed to picture. Yeah, it's the foundation of civilization. Yes, it's the fabric of a strong society. But the home was designed by God to foreshadow the relationship that his son would have with his bride. Now, before I close, I want to say this. Types are very important in the Word of God. You say, oh, that's just a type. That, you know, the home, it just foreshadows Christ in the church. Can I tell you, it's more than just foreshadowing Christ in the church. I'm telling you, this is important. Well, I want to, show, I want to give a quick illustration right of how, how important types are to God. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, you remember the story? They come in the wilderness. There came a time when they started getting thirsty. You remember that, Brother Cruz? They got thirsty. And, and they started murmuring. And complaining like the children of God always do. Amen. Just murmur and complain, murmur and complain, murmur and complain. Well, the Lord heard them. And the Lord told Moses, he said, Moses, and I'm ad-libbing here, okay, so please don't criticize me if I don't quote it exactly how it is there in the scripture. I know y'all won't. Amen. But, but he said, Moses, there's a rock over there. Take your rod, go strike the rock. And there was a wonderful type there because that rock was meant to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was. He was going to strike the rock, which is a picture of Christ being smitten at Calvary for our sins. And then water would come out of that rock, which was a picture of the water of life that would come from the Lord Jesus Christ that would fulfill our spiritual thirst. We'd never thirst again. It was a picture, it was a picture of salvation. Christ only had to be smitten one time. Christ died once for all forever. Christ never will be smitten again. Man got his chance to smite God, to smite Christ, to nail him on the cross one time. And he willingly submitted because that was a part of God's eternal redemptive plan for his bride, the church. Amen. For the world that he could offer to the world his salvation. Well, Moses took the rod, he struck the rock, water came out, and everybody was happy for a while. But guess what happened? They ran out of water. And God was testing their faith to see if they'd be willing to trust God. And, and the children of Israel, they failed the test. In fact, they would fail the test 10 times in the wilderness. 10 times God would bring them to a trial of their faith. 10 times he would have to write an F on their report card and say, you failed. And God came to Moses and said, Moses, or Moses came to God, you can read the text, and they were complaining again, there's no water. And God said, Moses, I want you to go to the rock, and I want you to speak to the rock. Well, why, why is he speaking and not striking the rock? Striking the rock was a picture of Christ being smitten for our sins. That's a wonderful type. He was smitten one time for our sins, once for all, forever. After you get saved, we don't have to get resaved every time we mess up. We don't have to get resaved every time we sin. Every time we fall short of God's glory, we don't have to come back and say, oh, God, save me again. Amen. What can we do? We can go speak to the rock. Amen. We can just go back and confess our sins as Christians, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how he is. And so Moses God said, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. And that's going to be a wonderful type, the relationship that Christ will have with those that are his. But are you listening? Moses got very upset. Guys, have you ever got upset? <laughs> Don't answer out loud, amen. <laughs> Wives, you can't answer for the guys, all right? Moses got very upset. The Bible said he spake unadvisably with his lips. He walked over to that rock with his rod in his hand, and he said, here now, you rebels. Must I fetch pastor preached on rebels on Wednesday night, but he didn't preach like this. Here now, you rebels. <laughs> Must I fetch water out of this rock for you? That's what Moses said. Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth. But in that one moment, he struck the rock and broke the tight. You know what God and his mercy did? God gave him water. That's, that, that, that's the mercy of God. It gives him water, but Moses broke the tight. You say, oh, that's not that important. It may not seem important to you, but it was important to God. Israel failed 10 times before God said, you can't go to the promised land, Israel. Ten times they failed before God said, you can't go. Moses failed one time. He struck that rock a second time. 
and he broke that type. And God said, Moses. And in Psalm, I believe, 78, God even says, the people caused you to unadvisably speak, all right? He puts the blame back on the people, but on Moses, because at the end of the day, he should have reacted right and obeyed God. But he spoke unadvisably, he struck the rock, and God said, Moses, you cannot go to the promised land because you struck the rock. And for years I looked and said, what's the big deal? He messed up one time, they messed up 10 times. But that was a type. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say tonight. Types are important to God. And when God said that our homes are representative, are typical, they speak in type of the relationship of Christ in the church, God's not playing games. Guys, God wants you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How's it looking in your house? Ladies, God says, I want you to submit to your husband. I want you to reverence your husband. And guys, remember this. God did not create Eve out of Adam's head so that she could rule over Adam. He didn't create Eve out of Adam's foot so he could walk all over her. He created Eve out of Adam's side so they could be companions in life, so they could be a team. She could be his helpmate and work together for the glory of God. And that's how your home is supposed to look. Amen. Does your home look like that tonight? Guys, are you loving your wives? You say, oh, yes, sir, preacher, I love my wife. Can I ask you this? When you go home tonight, would you ask her how it looks? You might get a better picture from her point of view. But wives, before you answer that question, would you be willing to ask your husband how it looks? How your reverence and respect towards him looks? I, I'm asking you tonight. And you say, boy, you, you went from teaching and you sure went to preaching and you're, you're meddling. Now, I'm not trying to meddle. I really aren't. I really ain't. I really am not. However you say that, amen. I'm just trying to... I'm trying to help all of us to understand the importance of the home, amen. Our homes are important to God, amen. And God said, I created this home and I want it to be a picture of Christ in the church. Why? Because God wanted the world out there that's unsaved to be able to look into our homes and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Do your neighbors see Christ? Or do they hear a bunch of clutter and banging, hollering, screaming, fussing and fighting and the wind is breaking, amen. I'm asking you tonight, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, help me to love my wife, to love Angie as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to have some introspection tonight, Lord. And just if, if there's any place our homes get a little out of order, that we'd get it back in order for the glory of God. Help us, Lord, to be a good type that others might see the Lord Jesus Christ in our marriages and in our home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.